Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 355. Today's big Bible question, what does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? And we're counting down 15 more episodes left this year. Still haven't fully decided what we're going to go do in 2021, but when I know, you'll be amongst the first to know. So happy Wednesday to you, friends. Welcome aboard and shout out to new listeners from Greater Accra, Ghana, the United Arab Emirates, the Karachi area of Pakistan, Odisha and West Bengal, India, Alberta, Canada, Indianapolis, Seattle, Chicago, Orlando, Yuma, Arizona, Wichita, Kansas, and Greensboro, North Carolina. Thank you all for joining us. Today we are reading 2 Chronicles 18, Zechariah 3, John 6, and Revelation 7. Our focus is on Jesus' teaching in John 6, which contains one of his most controversial teachings, that he is the bread of life. Now, the way he taught this message and the way he explained it caused his popularity among the people, even among his disciples, to plummet, so to speak. We see that in John 6, 66 through 68, where it says, From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, I find it interesting that John six sixty six, which is literally the only chapter 6, verse 66, uh, 666 verse in the Bible, is about people turning away from Jesus. Now, does this have something to do with the Antichrist or the beast number 666? You know what? I sincerely doubt it, but it is you know slightly intriguing, interesting, or whatever. I prefer to focus on 668, which is Peter's confession that Jesus has the words of eternal life. Well, let's read the whole chapter. It's a long one, but it's a powerful one. It's a good one, and it is good for us. So John chapter 6, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but... What are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves and loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, Collect the what leftover, so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When people when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again by the mountain to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind rose, 
and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore that where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks, and when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign, then, are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread of life come down from heaven. They were saying, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is 
hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe him and the one who would betray him. He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. So the word bread appears approximately 245 times in the Bible, depending on the translation, and 18 times in this one chapter alone. Bread was a staple food for the first century Jewish people, a fact that is very significant here. Three times in this chapter, Jesus tells the Jews that he is the bread of life. Now, if Jesus had a campaign manager, this chapter and this incident in the life of Jesus would have probably been his undoing. By the time we get to John 6, Jesus has already performed multiple signs and miracles, and people are just hanging on his every word. They've seen the dead raised, they've seen miraculous food happen, they've seen the water turn to wine and other things like that, and they've seen how great of a teacher Jesus is, and they're following him, maybe hoping to get more bread or whatever, and also maybe to see more, sort of like uh, first century people looking for a handout and first century rubberneckers. Now, we know this, at least in part, from verse 26, where Jesus says, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. They weren't following Jesus for salvation. He knew they didn't believe in him. They weren't following him because he was the Messiah. They wanted more bread. They wanted to see more things. Jesus, not content to merely have great great popularity and large numbers of followers, wants these people to see who he really is and why he has come. He's not come to provide people with bread or to do mere miracles, healings, and signs. Those are good things, but he's not come merely for that. He's come to give himself as a ransom for many, to save the world and pay the price for sin, to defeat death and usher in everlasting life to all who would look to him in believing faith. So Jesus teaches truth in such a way that many, maybe even most, of the people who were following him turned away. It begins... In a somewhat non-controversial way, Jesus tells the Jews that their heavenly Father has bread that will last for eternity. Upon hearing this, of course, the people ask for that bread, and then Jesus drops a bombshell on them. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. If you believe in me, you'll never be hungry, and you'll never be thirsty again. And I want to say that Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, but honestly, that word is not strong enough. It's not powerful enough. Yes, it is something like a metaphor, but it goes far beyond a mere metaphor. And we can tell that Jesus isn't talking about the literal kind of bread that is made with flour, which you eat with your mouth, because of what he says in verse 33 and other places too. He says the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is not a what, but a who. But the Jews don't immediately pick up on this, and I'm quite sure that Jesus is fully aware they are missing it. 
So he tells them more clearly in verse 35 that he himself is the bread of heaven. And at this point, they begin to understand what Jesus is saying, and they don't like it at all. They grumble about this teaching because they consider Jesus a mere man, the son of the carpenter, not somebody who's come from God as some sort of heavenly bread. They also know Jesus isn't talking about literal bread here, but they're still somewhat perplexed by what Jesus is really saying. So he continues, pressing the people even harder about what he is teaching them. He says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread down from heaven. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus is saying he's the bread from heaven and the eternal life is given for those who eat the bread of heaven. What a strange way of expressing this truth. And then he doubles down again and says, the bread I give is my flesh. And the Jews respond to that teaching, honestly, like many of us would in 2020. Wait a minute. Hold on. Are you saying we have to eat you? And at that, the Jews argued among themselves, says John 6:52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And at that point, You'd expect Jesus to say, whoa, 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 hold on, partners. And and then maybe explain the metaphor, teach the deep truth, clear the air. But he doesn't. Astonishingly enough, he keeps pressing them. Verse 55, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And you hear that and you think, well, wait a minute. He's not, that's not right. He's not, it's not literal food and literal drink. And And you'd be right in one sense, but that's not what Jesus says. He's not saying literal food and literal drink. He's saying something higher. He's saying my flesh is true food. It's almost bewildering, even to somebody looking back on this passage almost 2,000 years later, who believes wholeheartedly in Jesus, this, this passage. Why does he keep saying that he's real food and real bread? Well, he doesn't say that. He says that he's true food and true bread. And that's a different word. And as we're going to see in just a moment, it's a different meaning. But Jesus knows this and he knows they're not understanding. So why doesn't he correct their misunderstanding? And then just when you think maybe he's going to explain it a little more, just when you think something has to give, Jesus says this in verse 56, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. (laughs) Whoa, wow. It's incredible. The one who eats this bread will live forever, says verse 56. So why does Jesus speak this way? Even his disciples are struggling with it, and some of them left. Now, keep in mind, disciples here means the people who are following Jesus, and many more than the 12 were following Jesus. So we're told that the 12, you know, Simon Peter, Andrew, Philip, uh, Matthew, etc. John and James, those guys didn't leave, but many of his other disciples did leave. That's a big deal. Jesus lost many of his disciples this day because of this teaching. And we got to understand this. Jesus was neither foolish nor naive. We know that. Jesus knew what he was teaching was blowing the minds of his followers and the other Jews, and he didn't dial it down. He turned it up to 11. Why? Well, I think part of the reason is explained to us earlier in this passage Maybe in verses 37 and 44, where Jesus says, 
everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Or verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, Jesus knew that those who were to truly be his disciples, not mere bandwagon jumpers, not merely people looking for free food and watching miracles, he knew his real followers would be drawn by the Father and never cast out. Everyone that Father gives to Jesus will come to him. Not a single one given will fail to come. All of them. So Jesus doesn't seem concerned about those who fall away because of this teaching because he knows that, for instance, all who are appointed for eternal life believe, which is a quote from Acts 13.48. As well, I believe that Jesus was teaching an incredibly important truth here, and he taught it as powerfully, as viscerally, as memorably as he possibly could. He's not merely looking for human followers and servants. He's looking for a people that he will wash in his blood, utterly save and uh, live in and among in a far deeper way than is possible with any human relationship. These people were following Jesus like they literally found out where he was and went there, but they weren't following Jesus by faith, believing in him to be their Savior and Lord. This whole passage really calls back to what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, John 4.14, when he said, But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Now there, Jesus isn't talking about literal water, and he's not talking about literal water and bread here, or literal drink and bread here, but true water and bread and drink here. Verse 655, he says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And knowing that is key to understanding this teaching of Jesus and what he means that he is the bread of life. Jesus's body and blood isn't literal bread and literal water, but true bread and true drink. Well, what happens when you eat a Pringle? Well, if you're like me, you immediately want another and really the whole can, right? How long will a cracker tide over a hungry person? Not long at all, right? If you're dying of thirst, will a half cup of cold water help you survive a week? It'll help, but you'll be thirsty again. True drink and true food won't leave you in that position. Well, how? Well, it won't keep your body alive, like literal food and literal drink, but it will keep the eternal part of you, your soul, your spirit, alive forevermore. No bread or juice or water can do that. You can drink the best water in the world every day and eat the best food in the world every day, the healthiest, whatever, the best, the etc. Will it make you immortal? Of course not. Even those that eat the absolute best and healthiest superfoods in the world will die. And that food will do nothing for their soul and spirit. However, if they eat the bread of life in Jesus and are washed in the drink of life, his blood, then their soul and spirit will live forever in eternity with Jesus in heaven. This is what Jesus means by being the bread of life and the drink of life, the true bread of life and the true drink of life, not the literal bread, not made with flour, not molecules of hydrogen dioxide, but something not less than that, something beyond that, the true bread of life and the true drink of life. He's talking about true bread and true drink that is something so far beyond literal bread and literal drink that we can barely comprehend it. 
he's talking about himself. And I'll close with Luke twenty two nineteen through 20, uh, the Last Supper. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is pour, poured out for you. We eat this true bread and drink this true drink with eat and drink being in quotation marks. We eat them by faith, taking Jesus into our lives, consuming his words, consuming the good news, and by faithful believing, we will have eternal life because this true bread and this true drink brings life. Well, we continue. Second Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1. Really one of the more interesting and intriguing stories in the Bible in so many ways. Um, even got a little bit of humor in here. Verse 1, Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and he made an alliance with Ahab through marriage. Then after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep, goats, and cattle for him and for the people who were with him, and he persuaded him to attack Ramoth-Gilead for Israel's king Ahab, asked Judah's king Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? And he replied to him, I am as you are, my people as your people, we will be with you in the battle. But Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, first, please ask what the Lord's will is. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war or should I refrain? And they replied, march up and God will hand it over to the king. But Jehoshaphat asked, "Uh, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here anymore? Let's ask him. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man who can inquire of Yahweh, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. He is Micaiah, son of Emiah. The king shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hurry and get Micaiah, son of Emiah. Now the king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, clothed in royal attire, were each sitting on his own throne. They were sitting on the threshing floor at the entrance to Samaria's gate, and all the prophets were prophesying in front of them. Then Zedekiah, son of Chanana, made iron horns and said, This is what the Lord says. You will gore the Arameans with these until they are finished off. And all the prophets were prophesying the same, saying, March up to Ramoth-Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will hand it over to the king. Pause. These are false prophets, obviously. Back to the text, verse 12. The messenger who went to call Micaiah instructed him, Look, the words of the prophets are unanimously favorable for the king, so let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As Yahweh lives, I will say whatever my God says. So he went to the king, and the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war, or should I refrain? Micaiah said, March up and succeed, for they will be handed over to you. But the king said to him, How many times must I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of Yahweh? So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord said, They have no master. Let each return home in peace. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the whole heavenly army was standing at his right hand and at his left hand. And the Lord said, 
Who will entice King Ahab of, of Israel to march up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one was saying this and another was saying that. Then a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord asked him how. So he said, I will go and become a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you will entice him and also prevail. Go and do that. Now you see the Lord has put a lying spirit into the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has pronounced disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, son of Chenana, came up, hit Micaiah on the cheek, and demanded, Which way did the spirit from the Lord leave me to speak to you? Micaiah replied, You will soon see when you go to hide in an inner chamber on that day. Then the king of Israel ordered, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this guy in prison and feed him only a little bread and water until I come back safely. But Micaiah said, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he said, Listen, all you people. Then the king of Israel and Judah's king Jehoshaphat went up to Ramoth-Gilead. But the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will um, disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your royal attire. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, Do not fight with anyone at all except the king of Israel. And when the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they shouted, He must be the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him, and when the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. So he said to the charioteer, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am badly wounded." And the battle raged throughout the day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Arameans until evening. Then he died at sunset. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1, Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing in his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to him, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with festive robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head and they clothed him in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. Then the angel of the Lord charged Joshua this is what the Lord of armies says. If you walk in my ways and keep my mandates, you will both rule my house and take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among those who are standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you. Indeed, these men are a sign that I am about to bring my servant, the branch. Notice the stone I have set before Joshua. On that one stone are seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, and I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. On that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Revelation chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel rising up from the east, who had the seal of the living God. And he cried out in a loud voice to the four angels, 
who are allowed to harm the earth and the sea, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on the foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 sealed from the tribe of Benjamin. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen and amen. What a lovely promise. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Hallelujah. Let it be. Well, friends, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he guide you. And may he protect you. Good day to you and Godspeed.